Okay, good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study, the Epistle to the Romans, Part 13. Glad you are with us. Let us uh, begin in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this uh, pleasant day today, this spring day. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together. Lord, we thank you for those that are here or on their way or home or listening via podcast. Lord, we just thank you that uh, you're with us to guide us, strengthen us, encourage us, and help us, Lord, in all things, Lord. And tonight, we ask, Holy Spirit, that uh, you guide us through Romans chapter 15. You also guide us into thought and conversation and uh, uh, provoke us to questions and response, whatever is needed tonight, Lord, that, uh, again, you are always the teacher. You direct our study. And so, Father, we just thank you for this, and we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, last week we were in chapter 14. Chapter 14 was about Christian principles. Because remember, he said that Paul spent the first 13 chapters explaining Christianity, explaining the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, and how Christ has now mended that gap, brought us all together, brought us to be one in unity. But then in chapter 14, he goes into the, uh, uh, about the principles of being a, a Christian. In other words, this is who you should be. This is how you should, you should conduct yourself. This is what we talked about last week. And this week, we're going to talk about practices. It's, uh, uh, you know, this is how things we should do, things we should actually be doing. So when you think about this uh, uh, in chapter 15, so... Chapter 15, verse 1. And now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Now hold that in thought and I'm going to read chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinion. Okay, that's a principle, right? Now, chapter 15, verse 1, he's saying, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. This is more the action. This is the practice. We should bear uh, with them. Weak in faith. In other words, what he's saying is that we who are strong should help those who need to gain strength concerning spiritual matters. This is mentorship. This is how the church grows. This is how what strengthens the church. Let me go out on a little a little rant here that I think a lot of times when we look at Christianity and some of the ills or some of the problems of where we've been going and, and losing uh, uh, um, uh, members and different things in Christianity as a whole, I think one of the problems has been mentorship and that we're not training up solid Christians anymore. You know, uh, I, I just read a thing. Uh, we, we were talking about some stuff before you came in, and I just read a, a, a little quote from Outreach Magazine, and it said 48% of all millennial Christians, that means the younger generation, 48% of all millennial Christians do not believe in the sharing of the gospel. 48%. That's not their fault. That's our fault. Because we raised them. Church raised them. So if they're not doing it, you can't say, well, you guys are crazy. It's like, well, we raised them, you know. So uh, 
so he's saying to those who are weak in faith, we need to uh, strengthen them concerning spiritual matters. Like you can't expect them to respond a particular way if they don't know how to respond, right? It's uh, uh, it's like a matter of uh, etiquette. I always remember being a a little kid, my mom teaching me etiquette. You use this fork, you use that knife, you do this, and and you do that. And to this day, I I, I remember it because I'm wiping my mouth with my arm. <laughs> I remember what she said, but I'm, you know. But anyway. You know, those are principles that you have to put into practice. You have to do them. She was training me and telling me, you know, one day you're going to be man, you're going to whatever, and I, I want you to be able to, you know, know what proper etiquette is and things like that. The other thing here, it says, now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. But just in terms of Christ. Christ did not please himself. He did the will of the Father for the benefit of all, Right? He didn't come to, to please himself, to do the will of the Father. So as we follow Christ, as we follow the Father, you know, it's not about pleasing us. It's not about what's, what, what, what can I get, what's good for me. It's about the big picture here and uh, strengthening and helping others. You know, because sometimes just because someone is new in faith or they say something like we talked about last week, just because someone is new to Christianity and they say some things that are a little bit off or whatever, you know, doesn't mean we are to dismiss them. It means we need to take time to train them and help them. Right. So verse two, it said that each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Edification means basically building up or builder. You know, we are to build one another up. We are to strengthen one another. Uh, see yourself as a builder. And I think this is very important to see yourself as a builder. That you are strengthening someone. You are, you are edifying them. Uh, uh, it's, it's something that we should be doing because we have to look at church as not only what are we doing, why are we doing it, but what are we going to leave behind? What does the next generation have? Because we are products of the generations before us. They're products of the generation before them. you know. And hopefully we're all products of the gospel. But if the gospel is not being taught or whatever is going on, this is why the church is kind of like a roller coaster sometimes. Because, you know, sometimes the church is really operating in strong faith and doing things. Other times it's down on the bottom and it's just losing, you know, steam and stuff like that. So we have to remember that we are to edify one another. And because, uh, um, again, if a young believer is saying some things, you know, you don't want to tear them apart to the point to where they just think they're idiots. You want to sit them down and say, Okay, I understand where you're coming from, but let's look to see what the Bible says to see if that's true. Or how do we, you know, you want to make sure you're building them up, you know, not just tearing them down. You know, as a, as a coach, a good coach or a good teacher will take the student and, and see where they're at, see what they're lacking, see what they need, and do the things that they need to do to infuse that in them without them losing heart. Because sometimes, you know, as a as a as a coach or a teacher, you can browbeat someone to the point that they just give up. They say, oh, I, "I can't do this. This is no good. 
I'm, I'm, I'm never going to get this. As opposed to encouraging them along the way, you know, a brick at a time. You're building them up. <clears throat> Thoughts or questions? Verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon him. This is just re supports verse 1. It's basically what he's saying then there. He's just saying again about Christ. Christ did not please himself. He came to do the will of the Father. See, there's always a big picture, and that's where in Christianity, where Bible, in reading the Bible, okay, if we're reading the Bible and we're reading a passage of Scripture, here, whatever it is, that's this. With this passage of Scripture is tied to other scriptures which make a bigger picture. These passages of scriptures are tied to other books in the Bible that make for even a bigger picture. And the farther you get out with the books. So to understand this, you have to work from the outside in or from the inside out. To fully understand what God is saying and what God is doing. So, you know, it's directional. You're seeing what came before, what comes after. In order to understand what God is, is doing here. And that's what Paul does in Romans. Right? Because he's taking people that don't understand this out here. So he takes the time and says, okay, you're right here. But I'm going to take you out here and I'm going to walk you back into here. And then he brings them back here. He brings them back to the cross. Explaining right. the Old Testament situation and Jewish people and all this and then how you reconcile all of that. So if you understand that, as you read the Bible, as you teach the Bible, as you share the Bible, realize that one scripture does not make a, 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 a statement without the supporting scriptures without the supporting epistle, letter, book, uh, and how it fits in the framework of the entire Bible. So in other words, there's no scripture that operates on its own. It's all connected to the big picture. So that way, if you understand that, then you don't have this theology that operates out here. Well, God is this. He's yada, yada, yada. You know, a lot of times you hear people say, you know, well, I believe. Okay, you're, you're over here if, it, if you're not believing what God says. As soon as you say, I believe this, as opposed to I believe what God has said, now there's a danger there. You can say, I believe what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches, good. But just when you say, I don't really think God is like that, boom, you're now out here. And so now you've got to make this connect with that, and you can't, because it's not part of it. And see, if we understand that, then we don't accept false doctrines, but also it helps us in our understanding of Scripture. Thoughts, questions? Pastor Steve, um, about the millennials, um, like in my own family, um, niece, nephew, and they have two millennials, and they brought them up in the ways of the Lord and um, taught them you know, how to be good um, witnesses, 
they go to college and they come back totally changed. Yes, exactly. And so the parents are exasperated, yes, mm-hmm. because they shoot them down by the professors or other students by saying what they believe. Yeah, and then they'll, then they'll ridicule you for your faith. Yes. If you're weak in faith, mm-hmm. you give in to it. If you're weak in faith, peer pressure. Mm-hmm. If you're stronger in faith, you'll stand opposed to it. So our responsibility mm-hmm. is, before they go, strengthen them. Mm-hmm. Or if they get saved out there, this is why Campus, Campus Crusade used to be real big way back when, back in the 60s and stuff, because they were going straight to the campuses. Mm-hmm getting them saved. Mm-hmm. Nowadays we're just kind of hands off. We don't really go there and we should really be going to the campuses again. You know, so uh, maybe we need to do something with Subito's College. Oh. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 uh, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. So, But that doesn't mean we write them off because they come back with these these ideas. Mm-hmm. Got, you, you have to now find ways to reconnect with them and show them Here's the biblical truth that lines up here, 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 and here, and, and, and universally in, in God's big plan, you know. So, you know, that, that's our responsibility, you know. Or to create that environment, uh, you invite them to church and you let, them, you let Diego talk to them. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. You're a different generation. They're going to talk to a different generation. Why don't you let me Sophia, different generation. Right? We're not always gonna um, we're not always gonna be able to fully connect with each generation as well as the products of that generation can connect with them, because they know the lingo, they know the language, they know the you know. Chase Robert real fast. I had a, a the professor, the uh, the president of Fuller. Theological Seminary where I went. Um, at the time he said this, he was probably in his late 60s. He was really connected with young people. And he used to he used to do a lot of talking about young people and different stuff. And, and it was like, you know, how are you so connected? And he said, I watch the movies. I watch the TV shows. I listen to the language. I listen to what they're being told. That's good evangelism because you have to identify with where they're at so you can speak to them where they are at. You can't say, hey, look at me over here high on the mountain. Come up here. Everything is going to be wonderful. They're going to look at it and say, that's too long of a road. But if you go back down where they are and say, okay, here's a step. Here's a step. It's like, you know, driving. I was always amazed the first time I, 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 I took a drive. little kid driving out into the desert and the guy that was driving the car, my uncle, he says, he says, I can tell where we're, we're, we're climbing and it was at nighttime. And I'm sitting in the car and I said, how can you tell him he's climbing? And then I looked in the rearview mirror and then I looked back and all of a sudden you saw for the last five, ten miles we'd been climbing and the cars are down there. But yet you didn't realize it. Right? And so that's what it is. It's like with evangelism, what he's saying here they're not going to really realize it the same way. If you try and take that big hop up to the top of the mountain, no. But if you're gradually doing it, then once 
you look back and say, oh, wow, I'm making progress here. Right? So it's kind of like that. Any other questions? Uh, first four. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Purpose of scripture? Edification. Building up. Right? He said it was, it was, I mean, right here, whole scripture on this passage alone. For whatever was written in earlier times, speaking of the Bible, was written for our instruction. It was written for my instruction. So way back when, when I started reading the New Testament and all of this and that, and then I started thinking, okay, where's all this coming from? And then I realized I'm going to have to go back to Genesis and understand that whole story all the way through Malachi to help me better understand the Gospels in Acts. Because this is where it's coming from. This is what's feeding into it. So, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures. Notice the encouragement of scriptures. You know, you lead somebody to the scripture... Again, who's sitting down there reading that with them? The Holy Spirit is. You lead them there, but it is God that's going to open up their eyes, right? To, to see and to understand. Uh, the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. So the purpose of scripture is edification or building up of the body. Those that are weak, right? In faith. How do we, how do we become stronger in faith? By the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or studying the word of God. Paul to Timothy. Uh, you know, needing not to be ashamed of being a workman unto God. Rightly dividing the word of God. Right? So. Verse 5 and 6. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. That with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another whole, as they used to say, a month of Sundays of preaching. Uh, we should all be on the same page. Why? Because we're all reading from the same page. We're all reading from the scriptures. How does it get messed up? When we start interpreting it from outside of it. You see, sometimes we want, people want to influence or put their thought on Scripture. Scripture is supposed to put its thought on us. Right? That's what he's saying here. But see, we want to say, oh no, it doesn't mean that. It means this. Based on the way I want to see it because of whatever reason. No, you're off pages of the Bible. Whether you like it or not, whether it hits home or not, it's the truth and it's the word of God. And it needs to be taught in its entirety. So in other words, we're on the same page only if we read and follow and practice these things that the Bible shows us. So in other words, if we're all doing it, it's like, it's like the military. What does the military do? They do a good job of turning you into a soldier. And what's the first thing they tell you? 
Your mom and dad are not here to help you. I am your mom and your dad from now on. Right? And you will do as I tell you to do. And if you don't, life is going to be miserable. Right? And so what happens after three, four months, they come out and they go, I can't believe you, you're such a man. You're actually making up your bed. You're folding your clothes. Mom's been trying to get him for 18 years to fold his clothes, and he comes back from three months, and he's got everything neat and tucked away. You know? But you see, they train you. They don't give you any room to slip. They don't don't give you that. They don't give you wiggle room. And this is a danger in Christianity if we give wiggle room. We have to really, you know, stand for, for the integrity of Scripture and for what Scripture says to follow it because it's for our edification, our building up. Train a child the way they should grow up and when they're old they will not depart from it. If they don't know, how are they going to follow it? Hmm? And a child means anyone coming. It just doesn't mean little ones. Because, you know, at some point, we, you know, we can be 75 years old and just come to Christianity. We're a child in the Lord, right? Uh, let's see. Let's see. We're on the same page only if we read and follow and practice these things. Yeah. Would that be also a reason why there are many denominations? You know, from the outside putting in what they want to. Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, what I might do is uh, um, I might teach church history before I go into Ezekiel. I'm going to look at how many days before I'm going to be away because uh, I'm going to miss a couple a couple weeks. And the whole point of, of, of the church history is Okay, how did we get all these denominations? Where did it come from? What do they believe? What's going on? And what happens is you will have, at one time, there was the church. Then the church started being identified as the Eastern Church and the Western Church because those were the two main factors. The Eastern Church was uh, basically what is now Greek Orthodox it was the churches that were in Asia Minor and what is now Greece. And then the Western churches were those that were part of the Roman Empire. And Caesar had control over those. Well, those two entities, because they were not uh, uh, fellowshipping together, began to drift apart, even though for many hundreds of years they coexisted. But then what started happening is that some doctrines started creeping into the church that were out here. Mm -hmm. And once that happened, then there became a big problem. And the church councils over the years, starting with the first one, the Council of Nicaea in 325, was to rectify problems that were beginning to come into the church from outside of Scripture. Mm -hmm. So every now and then they would call these church councils and they would get as many of the churches and the elders together and they would hammer out okay what is what we believe that's how the what came out of the Nicene Council in 325 was the Apostles Creed we read the Apostles Creed that's a broad statement for Christianity you know it's not exactly the same Apostles Creed that's in the in, in Catholicism but it's the same thing you know in there it says one holy and Catholic 
church, but it's a small C. Catholic means universal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, out of those things. So, yeah, to, to your point, yeah, it, it, church splits come when we're out here. If we're all in here, we might have areas where we don't always see it together, but as we reason together through the scriptures, then it comes out. It's like the early church, part of the problem was not so much on the idea of do we baptize, the problem was how do we baptize? Well, it's got to be running water. Because John the Baptist did it in Jordan, it was running water. Another said, well, no, it came from mikvah, that was just a tub. What if you just sprinkle? You know, and sometimes these arguments continue today. And so, but it, the argument wasn't on baptism. It was on how do you do it? Because originally they dunked themselves. And now do you let them do it or do you backward, forwards? You know, it's, it's really immature. Not, not immature, it's, it's, it's immaterial. What's material is the baptism. So now the church says, okay, as long as we understand why we're baptizing, let's move forward. If, if, if you want to dunk on the left side, you want to dunk on the right side, you want to go down to salt water in the ocean and do it, that's fine. You want to go to Lake Castaic and do it, fine. Right? So, yeah, so that's why I might go into some church history at some point because they don't want to see it the same way and rather than reasoning together from inside here, they're both reasoning a lot of times from out here. And now we got two wrongs. And it doesn't make a right. By the way, we're Southern Baptists. There's over a hundred groups that could call themselves Baptists. Why? Originally, we come from the tradition called Anabaptists, which means to be baptized. Anabaptists, they started in England. And it was just a movement... To get back to scripture, they were saying that the church in Rome was doing things wrong and there weren't in there. Some of the reasoning, yada, 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 that we need to re-baptize, we need to re-establish. And it was also part of the Reformation. The Reformation was, okay, we need to get back on the pages of the Bible. Some wanted to do that, some didn't. It causes church splits along the way. And so the danger is that at any time, any organization... Uh, if it gets hijacked by some people that want to take it in a particular direction, you're, you're primed for a church split. So those of us that are mature in the word, we should be bringing everybody to the table and say, look, it, this is what scripture says. This Because like now the whole thing is on, you know, women pastors, uh, homosexuals, and, you know, all this other stuff going on. You know, in the church, and it's, it's like, okay, what does Scripture say? Let's let's land there. What does Scripture say? Because sometimes, you know, people will say, I had this conversation actually with a relative this week. You know, he was trying to say, oh, you guys are, you know, Christians just uh, uh, hate gays. Don't hate gays. They're welcome. Everybody is welcome. Yeah, but you don't let them become church members, and you don't. And I said, well, yeah, no, because any more than I would allow Charlie Manson to become a member, right? He doesn't meet the criteria of an elder. <laughs> doesn't meet the. Doesn't mean you can't attend. See, 
if we stop people from attending, then we stop the Holy Spirit from working. Mm-hmm. Church is for sinners. We're all sinners. You know? And so, how did I get here? It was your fault. You did it. Or, <laughs> yeah. So, in this country, was at any time, conf- were there conferences for all, uh, like Baptist, Methodist, together and if so do we have that interdenominational there's been attempts over the years to do kind of a one of those called world council or alliance of churches and they tried to bring them all together tough Uh, I've tried several times to bring all the churches in La Mirada together there's about 30 of them it's tough because they all have the right Jesus. <laughs> you know, and what you don't do it the way we do it. We don't okay, we gotta we gotta what we To be agree. fair though, to be fair, some of the theologies are pretty wacky. Well exactly. Yeah. And, the, and what I was gonna say was right is, is that you have to you have to say, okay, is Jesus our Lord and Savior and why? What do you believe? Where, right there, if we can stack that together, or right there we find, well, maybe they don't believe that, or you know, like he says, it's a little wacky. Then all of a sudden, okay, we find it, we find out it's here. Mm-hmm. Now you know how to deal with that, right? And so, again, uh, not not to knock on anybody, but Mormonism has for years tried to align itself with Christianity. They they will even say that they are, are are Christians. Jehovah Witnesses will say sometimes if they come knocking on your door, they'll say we're Jehovah Witnesses, and I say are you Christians? And they say yes, we're Jehovah Witness Christians. And then I say oh well then you believe that Jesus is God, and they'll say no, and then I say you're not a Christian because that's one of the main tenets of Christianity. But going back to the Mormon thing is 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 that uh, they don't believe Jesus is God. And so, but they try to align themselves with Christianity, and those 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 organizations like the World Alliance of Churches—I forget the acronym for it—but they're the ones that have said no because you're not accepting what the gospel says about Jesus Christ, all the way down. You've got the Book of Mormon that adds stuff, you know, and interprets things differently. So, yeah, that. That can happen. It's, yeah, it's it's a desire. It's 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 a dream. It's something. Yeah, you would hope that Christianity would uh, uh, just for whatever reason come together and, and and eliminate those those petty differences that separate us. You know, and unfortunately, the only things that do that are like natural tragedies. World Wars type things, 9-11 type events. Although 9-11 brought a lot of rabbit chases tonight. 9-11 brought us together for about two and a half weeks. And then after we saw there wasn't going to be any more attacks, everybody went, went back. But the problem was when they came into the church, the church wasn't ready to hold them. And to teach them and guys, we were just oh man, we got fourteen, twenty-eight more people than last week. 
Hallelujah. We're now next week is gonna be thirty seven and it's gonna be and then three weeks later you got twenty percent less than what you had before nine eleven. Because everywhere you went You know? So yeah, but there there has been attempts on it. But again, you know, Abraham Lincoln, all of the people can't be right part of the time or part of the time all of the all the people, you know, just getting everybody to agree. That's why I, I asked the question. I said, who is that one person today that's Christian that could say something and that every single organization, Christian organization, every single person that says they're a Christian could say, amen. We don't have that person. Because they say, oh, well, he's of this, or he's of that, or they're doing that, or they're... Rather than looking at what they're just saying. I'm a sinner. Falling short of the glory of God. I need salvation. God so loved me. Just just the gospel message. We should all be able to say amen. I mean even Billy Graham had detractors. And all he was doing was just preaching the gospel. You know. So it's a tough one because of this. And you know. We have to find ways to. Bring that into mainline Christianity. So, that answer your question? Sometimes I get lost in my rabbit chase. I don't know. Uh, so, anyway, uh, we should be on the same page. Um, only if we read and follow and practice these things. It's Paul who called himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 a wise master builder because he built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what we should be doing. Our edification comes from the foundation of Jesus Christ. Right? Verse 7. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Again, remember, the theme here is those that are weak in faith. So he's saying, therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Right? We've all fallen short. We're all sinners. Christ accepts us based upon our confession of of, uh, of Christ. So, you know, we're supposed to be unified to the glory of God. And this goes back to Drusy's question. Is there any time where we all come together? And yeah, wouldn't it be great if we all just came together just for the purpose of giving glory and honor and praise to God? Set all the other differences aside. Let's just come together and worship and praise God. Well, I don't like that song. Our church doesn't sing that song. I don't like those hymns. Where's the lights? Right? You know, it's these kind of things that separate us. Uh, so Christ accepted us as believers when we were, now notice, he's saying accept those that are weak in faith. Accept one another. Christ accepted us as believers when we were powerless, weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies to God. That's quoting Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 8, and 10. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 8, and 10. We were, it says we were powerless, we were weak, we were ungodly, we were sinners, and we were enemies to God. But God accepted us based upon our understanding of what God was doing, right? So, thoughts, questions, before I go into 8 to 12. Verse 8. 
For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. Now when he says the circumcision, that means who? Jews. Jews. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And for the Gentiles, who are the Gentiles? Those that are not Jewish. It means others. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles and I will sing to thy name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 48. Verse 11. Again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. That's Psalm 117, verse 1. And again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles have hope. That's Isaiah 11.10. The point here is Jews and Gentiles unified in faith. But notice, he went to the Old Testament to talk about Gentiles being justified by God. Again, everything is is pointing to the cross. And so he's just going and saying, from let there be light, this is what God has been doing, this is what God is showing, to the cross, and now in the New Testament, we're, we're carrying out the principles and practices that were all laid down by God in the Old Testament. Jesus came, said it was finished, and now we go we go forward. So it's not like this idea of God saving Gentiles was all of a sudden in the New Testament. No, it was from the beginning, right? Thoughts, questions on that? Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy, peace, and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a benediction. And I've, I've quoted this a couple of times when I do the benediction. I try and pull benedictions out from Scripture. But the point here is that there's still a chapter and a half left to go in the Bible. And Paul is giving a benediction here, like a closing so what this is doing, it's it's making a a a what? What does benediction mean again? It's 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 a blessing. It's like uh, the benediction is we do the benediction before we close service. Go in peace. May the love of Christ be with you. You know that that kind of stuff. It's a uh, 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 a closing remark that God be with you as you leave. And so. Uh, Paul always puts like a small little benediction in there closing his letters. But there's still a chapter and a half to go through. We're not going to do it all tonight. We'll just do part of it. Uh, But what happens in Romans is that Paul gives more of a closing remarks. What happens after chapter 13 is his closing remarks. And in some of his epistles, his closing remarks will be maybe a few lines. Or, you know, you know, tell Timothy when he comes to bring Barnabas or something, you know. He'll say something like that. Or greet all the saints in Ephesus for me. 
you know, he'll do a small little closing. But here he's got quite a bit. We'll do it this week and next week, his closing remarks. So, in other words, the theological aspects of Romans kind of ends here. Not that there's any theology in the rest of it, but what I'm saying is he's closing out that segment of his letter, and now he's going to go into some personal stuff. That make sense? It's like if you if you were writing a letter to the family and then you, you, you close it off and then and then you then you give personal little remarks to people. Right? That's separate from the from the bulk of the letter. It's a it's a closing remark. So uh, verse fourteen and sixteen. After the benediction, he says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God. See, now he's, he's verse 16 also. He says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says he's writing boldly to a church and to a people he's never visited. And this is probably why his closing remarks are much longer here. He says, you know, I'm, I'm writing to you boldly. I'm, I'm, I'm writing to you. Uh, uh, and then he says, as a, a, a minister... And the word minister there is the Greek word turgon, spelled T-O-U-R-G-O-N, turgon. And it means a, a, a servant, a, a public servant. And he says, I am a, I am a public ser- servant. And what I find this very interesting, because a lot of times, you know, you, you know he would say, you know, I am a bondservant to Jesus Christ. Or, you know, I am, I am serving the Lord, the body of Christ through Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. But here he says, I'm a public servant. He's never been there. He's never met them. Church really hasn't been established there yet. And he says to them, I am a public servant to the Gentiles. Who's the Gentiles? They are. So he says, I'm writing boldly to you because I'm a public servant to the Gentiles. And this is, I think, is huge because a lot of times, you know, when we think of minister, we think of ministering inside the church. He's actually ministering outside the church because a lot of them have not come to faith yet. Right? And he's writing this letter that's going to be passed around and given to them as an instruction manual before he comes there because he thinks he's going to go minister to them at at some point. We'll get into that in a second. And so he says, he's a public servant to the Gentiles, carried out as a priestly duty. Priestly duty is to work with sacred things. So he says, I am a public servant doing priestly duty to work with sacred things. In other words, I'm bringing to the public sacred things. Right? He says, and he's involved in preaching the gospel. What does Paul preach? The gospel. What does Paul want to know when he visits churches? Jesus and him crucified. The gospel. That's where he's at. It's the gospel. And um, Paul is a theologian. 
Paul is well trained. He he knows the Old Testament backwards and forwards, and he's the one that you know God chose to do this. And uh, Paul is really hammers theology to the church. And again, sometimes when you give a feel good message, there is no theology in it. Paul does not give feel good messages. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not concerned about making me feel good. He's concerned about making me know, do I know who Christ is and what did Christ do for me? And what are my responsibilities now that I have believed in Christ? Go out there and do them. Right? Paul, Paul's not going to give soft little mincy words because this is a guy that was shipwrecked. This is a guy that was stoned. This is a guy they wanted to kill in almost every city he went to. And now he's going to be, oh, look, yeah, I get it if you don't want to today. No, get out there and do it, right? He's, he's like that, 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 that military sergeant, you know, I'm, I'm sending you out there. And just a little footnote here, I don't know why I put it into my notes, but I was probably thinking about this. I know I've said it to you before, but and I think it kind of goes with Juicy's question earlier, and I think Orly's about about you know the church and, and you know coming together and stuff that up into the age of enlightenment the age of enlightenment was the late 1400s into the 1500s this is when science and all this stuff really began to take over up until in, in academia prior to that the highest form of education that you could aspire to was theology that was top of the food chain but then when humanism came in which is the age of the Enlightenment, we can figure it out, we can do it, you know, uh, we can understand this, uh, we don't necessarily need God to tell us anymore, because now we can figure it out for ourselves, kind of thing. <coughs> then the sciences and all this other stuff, and theology begin to go down. But you see, that translates into what is being now given out to the public, and how the public sees the priesthood, or or the public sees the church. You know, ah, you guys are a bunch of, you know, as as opposed to, no, you worked real hard for that degree, and you you you're, you're going to help me understand God, and you, you know, you dedicate your life to this, and yada yada in scripture, and you know, and wanting to hear rather than just dismissing it. You know, so that's how all this stuff again out here. Gets on the inside here. Thoughts, questions? Verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, why does sometimes it say Jesus Christ and other times Christ Jesus? And is there a difference? Christ is a, is a translation of what? Yeah, Christ means something, right? Huh? That's not his last name. Right? No. So Christ means something. Christ, Christ is a is a is a Greek translation. Um, well, actually, it's a it's a it's more of a, a Latin translation out of the Greek from the Hebrew from for Messiah. So when he, when he says Christ Jesus, it's more in the form of a title, Messiah Jesus. It's a title, right? It's like you know. President Steve. I like the way that sounds, by the way. Mm-hmm. President Steve. You know? It's a title. 
Okay. As opposed to referring to, well, Steve is the president of the Rotary Club. That's not an official title when you say it that way. Well, okay. That's, that's just the difference, but the, it, it all means the same. Uh, verse 70, therefore in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. He boasts through Christ Jesus in things pertaining to God because it is Christ that helped him understand who God is. And that's why I say that when we're reading about Christ, we go backwards and find out what God has done and then go forwards again, and now it makes much more sense. Because remember, he had all of this. And now, there's conversion. He now goes back and he takes all this and now brings it to the cross and to the New New Testament. Uh, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that in Jerusalem and around and about as far as Iliacricum, I have fully preached the gospel. That's basically a circle going all the way up to the northern part uh, uh, going towards uh, Syria and coming back down. That's basically what he's saying. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, what Christ has accomplished through me. So Paul recognizes that all credit goes to Christ. And he says here something interesting. What is it I'm going to pull out? Oh yeah, he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. There's other places where it refers to the gospel of God. What's the difference? Is, is he, there a difference? Is he showing it's a triune God? Partly, yeah. That's, that's, that's part of it because Christ is God. God is, is Christ. You can't separate. It's like a difference between when, when Matthew says the kingdom of, 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 of heaven and the other gospel writers say the kingdom of God. And people want to debate, well, what's the difference? There's no difference. You can't take God out of heaven anymore. You can take heaven out of God, right? It's all the same. And so it's just, partly he's making a point in, you know, the gospel. You know, there's there's the good news of God. The good news of God is that he's created things. The good news of God is that he's established all things. The good news of God is that he so loved us, he sent Jesus Christ and now you have the gospel of Christ to explain to us the road to salvation from there. So it's the same. It's the same deal. It's just a way of saying thing. So the gospel of Christ as it pertains to salvation, the gospel of God is kind of like the big picture, right? This is who God is. This is what God's doing. And in that, he sent his only begotten son because he loved us and he saw us and we need it and now you are specifically preaching the gospel of Christ as opposed to the gospel of God here's the big picture let there be light God has always existed this is who he is he's revealed yada 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 it's sort of the same it's, it's not changing one 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 for the other okay thoughts questions 
Yes. So could you say the gospel of God and the mystery is revealed through Christ? Yes, exactly. Because again, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, I came to fulfill it. The law speaks of, of Messiah. And so what is he doing? He's fulfilling it. And so now, now it becomes our understanding of God changes from God as creator, God as redeemer, God as king, the establishment of the priesthood, uh, God's promises, God keeping his promises, and then the, recognize, the recognition that we are sinners, we are fallen, we cannot approach God through the law. The law will not save us. Therefore, God has now sent his son. And now that becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, you know, the good news, you could you could really make a strong case for saying anything you're reading in the Bible is good news. That's what gospel means. So, but specifically, when you say the gospel, you know, you're talking about those steps to salvation, that, that little thing, that, that package you're going to give to someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's in that, in that package, right? Okay. Anything else? Questions? Okay, read this last part here, because this last part is basically Paul's plans. It's kind of a personal account of his plans on, on what he's hoping to do. So this is, you know, and put an emphasis there on Paul's plans, because there's Steve's plans and there's God's plans. Right? It's Paul's plans and there's God's plans. Not that I with Apostle Paul. Verse 22. Verse 20. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. In other words, he said, if they were already saved there, that's good. I'm going to go where they're, where they're not saved. Right? That's why his missionary journeys. That's why he established churches all around. That's why he wants to go to Rome. And another place where we're going to find out real quick. He says, Thus I aspire to preach the gospel, verse 20, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. Not Christ's foundation, but another man's foundation. But as it is written... They who had no news of him shall see, and they shall, and they who have not heard shall understand. Verse twenty-two. For this reason, I have often hindered from coming to you now, but now was no further place for me in these regions. And since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, see, this is a personal message to them. He's saying basically to them why he hasn't been there and why he wants to go. Now notice, he says, whenever I go to Spain. So Paul's planning to go to Spain. Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing. Because he knows you've got to pass through Italy to go to Spain, right? And to be helped on my way there by you. When I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So he's planning on going there. Spending some time, maybe like a year and a half, like he did in Ephesus, or you know, two years in in, um, in with the Corinthians, you know, maybe he was planning on on doing that kind of thing, and then eventually he's going to work his way up to uh, to Spain. Verse twenty five, he says, "But now 
I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, Acacia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So in other words, he's going there to go pick that up. Because remember, at times when he was on his missionary journeys, he was taking a contribution back to the church in Jerusalem. Yes, 27, yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way to you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come to the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by your Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now he's appealing as he does to all in his letters for prayers for him, for his journey. That I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, (coughs) and that my service in Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. And now the God of peace be with you all. So it's not the end. Next week we're going to get the next verse. I mean, the, the, the next closing remarks and then maybe do a little uh, recap on all of this stuff. But this is, you know, I believe Paul's roughly in his third missionary journey and he's he's headed back towards Jerusalem. And, you know, what happens when he goes back to Jerusalem? There's all these problems and this when he gets under house arrest and he has to appeal to Felix and all this stuff and eventually... He goes to Rome as a prisoner. But at this point, that has yet to happen. So he's thinking he's going to come back. He's going to deliver this love offering to the church in Jerusalem. He's not going to have any problems with anybody there. And then he can set out on his next missionary journey, which is destination in Spain. But he's going to go through uh, Rome, Rome to get there. And so that's where it's at historically in the thing is his third missionary journey and so uh, he's uh, um, he's basically martyred in this is roughly the year 57, 58 he's martyred somewhere between not exactly sure 62 and 64 maybe somewhere in there so but a lot, but a lot happens when he goes back to Jerusalem and he's under house arrest for a while, you know, before he gets up to uh, Rome. And it takes a while to get there. So Paul's plans. Uh, let me say this about Paul. Paul did so much, you know, for the church. And for, you know, he basically influenced, you know, by the Holy Spirit, uh, all of the New, the New Testament. He was the predominant figure, right? Why do you think, and this is all conjecture, why do you think the Lord did not have him continue on to Spain? I mean, he did this not because he was doing a bad job, right? He was doing, he was doing a good job. But why do you think he didn't continue on to Spain? Thoughts? 
Huh? He got killed? Well, yeah, he got killed, but why? Why did God protect him? Because all the other times they wanted to kill him, God protected him. So again, you know, your theology, if God takes you home, he's taking you home, right? Mm-hmm. And so why do you think God took him home and didn't let him continue on to minister in, in, in Rome and, and in Spain? the followers have been following Paul too much? Yeah. Bingo. It's kind of like, why don't we know where Moses is buried? They would turn it into a shrine. That would be a huge attraction. And who gets the glory? God. God. Moses is just a messenger like, like you and I. You know, and so... You have to look at that in the big picture. You know, all praise and honor and glory go to God. God uses us for a a time, a season for what he's going to do. He's got other people to do that job. That's why none of us are here and the rest of us over here. And, you know, it's a level playing field because it's the Holy Spirit that guides all of us in what it is that we do. Whether we're just praying for missionaries or the actual missionary. It's it's all the same. You know, it's it's all that that work in there but there's you know again you know when, when you look at it you have to begin to ask the question why and for me yeah I, I kind of asked that, that question and then it took me back to Moses and it's like you know they don't know where Moses is, is, is buried because man that would be a huge huge shrine worshiping Moses and uh, Moses is the one who gave us the first commandment thus I have no other gods before me you know, and uh, uh, so, yeah, Paul, there was a danger there. And there's a danger today in Christianity that when you get someone that is very charismatic or a good teacher, whatever, we tend to turn them into celebrities rather than allowing them or keeping them as, as humble servants. Because once you become a celebrity, then everything changes. Right now, you're playing to the media. You're playing to the crowds. You're playing to whatever. Oh, that you know, yada 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 yada, and and uh, as as opposed to, you know, someone that rolls their sleeves up and is in the trenches, doing the work, you know. So, uh, we all have dis- different ministries, and and so something the church has to be c- careful of. So, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, uh, Phil was right on. I mean. According to the gospel, according to Steve, you know, because it doesn't say that in Scripture, but it's like you, you know, you have to begin to, you know, look at that and okay, why didn't he? Why didn't he continue on? on? And yeah, because Paul could have been, you know, a huge, huge guy. You know, if somebody would have started a mega, the first mega church, man, it would have been Paul, right? Yeah, he would have, he would have, you know. So, but anyway. Thoughts, questions? Next week, we are going to finish this. And what I'm probably going to do, I'm probably going to, because this is kind of a little easier, it's kind of like a little goodbye chapter there. Probably going to go into Romans and kind of pick out a few little things along the way and just kind of refresh our memory of the journey in Romans and close it. And then I'm going to look and see if, because uh, we're going to go into... Uh, Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is is quite a few chapters, and so I'm not sure yet 
if I'm going to do a survey, a broad look at it over several weeks, or if I'm going to do more in depth. If I'm going to do a broad survey and kind of pick out some main things in there, uh, um, I can probably do it before June. Because the middle of June, I'm going to be in um, Nashville for the uh, um, convention. So I'll miss two Wednesdays. In, uh, uh, so at that point, I don't, I don't want to be in the middle of, of a teaching. So then when we come back, we can pick it up. And so let me ask you guys this before we, before we close. Sometimes I will take a break in August. You know, do you guys want to take a break or do you just want to continue going straight through? It doesn't matter to me one way or the other. It's up to you guys. You know, because I can, I, can, I can keep going, you know. Continue. Continue? Continue? Okay. okay. So probably just those two weeks, we'll kind of take those two weeks off. We'll take those two weeks off or maybe a third week right there, and then we'll just pick up from there and we'll go through, through the end of the year. Okay. So that's why I might hold Ezekiel until then, or if I think I can give Ezekiel justice, because Ezekiel is a lot of... Uh, it's a lot of like visions and dreams and it's it's you got to really slow it down to go through there especially read that first chapter of Ezekiel and you'll be like you know just you know but then later on it it, it gets a little easier but Ezekiel can be a tough one so um, so we'll see but I don't want to just Mickey Mouse it I want to be able so that we know Ezekiel what the message was who it was to how it relates to us so I'll be so looking at that. you hold off on Ezekiel, will you go more in-depth when you do, do it? What's that now? If you hold off on Ezekiel now, when you start it, will you go more in-depth? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to have to reread it. It's been a while since I've taught Ezekiel. I know the major components of Ezekiel. And so um, I'm going to look in there because some of the stuff, like like in Isaiah, some of the stuff sort of repeats itself. Some of it is kind of, you know, it's it's it doesn't lend itself to a weekly study kind of thing, but it does lend itself to knowing it, reading it, and understand it. You know, because Ezekiel, a lot of it, if I think there's going to be a lot of cross-referencing, because a lot of Ezekiel cross-references into the book of Revelation and Daniel and stuff, I'm going to have to slow it down and really walk us through it, like we did with Revelation. We did line by line. Yeah. So if we, if we think we need to do that with Ezekiel, I'll, I'll do that. So I, again, I want to make sure we we get it. I don't want to just, you know, pass over it. So pass over yeah, that, that sounds like something. That's it anyway. All right, any, anything else? Praise God. Uh, Orly, could you close us out in prayer? Sure. Shall we pray? Father, we are just uh, uh, very thankful right now with uh, the study on uh, Romans. And we thank you that uh, we can go into this. Thank you for our teacher. And most of all, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent that we can, uh, that he can be the topic of our uh, lessons. And Paul has uh, also said that is the only foundation for that he wants to establish. And so, Lord, we 
pray that you will be with us as we are dismissed. Father, we pray that you will keep us in the hall of thy hands with all these things that are going on. And uh, as we pray this evening, we will include those who are uh, affected by what's going on, Lord, the COVID, and, uh, and those who are having a hard time adjusting to it. For those who lost their jobs and uh, who are in a hard uh, times right now, Father, be, be with them also, we pray. And thank you for all those who are here, for all those who would be listening to the podcast. And uh, Father, may, may uh, they be also enriched in their knowledge and uh, get them closer to you, Lord. Father, thank you for this evening again in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Amen. Amen. See you soon.